clubhouse. No, I'm not ripping anyone off. No one's after me. Nobody except my husband. I need those pills for him. Because I'm going to kill Kevin. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for AMC's new series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Tonight we're talking about episode four, Live Free or Die. It was written by Mel Shimkovitz, and it was directed by Anna DeCosa in her second of two episodes that she's directed. Hey, Caroline. Big episode as we finish the first half of the season. Yeah, it's crazy to think that we're already at the midway point, and this definitely had the feel of like a midway season cliffhanger-y moment at the end. <laughs> it absolutely did. But as far as I know, there will be no break. So that's great. So you get all of the urgency of a mid-season cliffhanger without having to wait. We've had a lot of people giving feedback on the Facebook page, Kevin Can F himself fans, and all around the internet where they feel like, man, are we spending too much time on the sitcom portion of this show? And it makes me a little bit bummed when people feel like they can't stand being a little uncomfortable in order to let the table be set for the single cam drama portions. But Mike, you actually clocked the multicam sitcom portion this time. I did. So you and I, when we were covering the panel for ATX, the Kevin Can Fuck Himself panel, we had a discussion when we were talking about how much of the show is devoted to the sitcom. And and one of the things Valerie Armstrong, the creator, she's said repeatedly, she said at the ATX panel, and she said in all of her press interviews, they had to make the sitcom portion feel like it could stand on its own two feet, that it could be a sitcom you would find on CBS. That was the rules they set for themselves for making that section. This had a lot of sitcom plot that had nothing to do with Allison and Patty, really. And so it seemed like the right time to check how much time do they actually devote to Kevin and Neil and Pete and their antics. 42 minutes and 15 seconds is the episode runtime. They devoted 13 minutes and 50 seconds to the sitcom plot, which is just about under one third of the entire episode. I feel like it felt a lot longer than that. <laughs> it really did. I think because it was continuous in some sections where we just hung with them for so much longer and there was an actual like full like beginning to end story that was going on with them we're watching the show as we're watching the show and it's not a standalone show it's part of this larger show you see why and how painful i think the sitcom portions really are this is a dumb plot that they go here someone would have gotten paid thousands of dollars to write this script in in the 80s or 90s uh or even uh, some of the 2000s this would have been like a gold like ratings winner this episode kevin makes an escape room an escape groom just the start of that that this was going to be an escape groom because what do most people need to escape from the most and that's getting married and and everything and i was like wow kevin <laughs> this is quite a start of your of your segment i want to talk about first one to get it out of the way because it is uncomfortable and it's not very funny it's only useful to watch because it, it necessarily informs the single cam episode even in this episode you don't appreciate a lot 
of the breakthrough in bonding and coming together that Allison and Patty have without this plot happening in the background, because Kevin wouldn't be calling her phone so much. He would know where his keys were before he hatched this plot. The Alexa timer wouldn't go up. You know, they have the consequences of what Kevin is doing over in the sitcom plot. And that's why it's important to watch. Not because the show wants you to think it's funny, but because you need to see this. You need to suffer through this in order to understand what Allison and Patty are going through on their side. My plea, please keep that in mind. The show is not trying to be a comedy. It's not trying to be Shit's Creek. That is another thing that I've seen a ton of so much in the last week. This show's not funny. It's not anything like Shit's Creek. No, it's not. It's not. It's not supposed to be Shit's Creek. <laughs> this episode was particularly useful, I think, for, for the rules of watching the show and for the tropes that it's dismantling and taking aim at, because it put up right at the beginning a bunch of them. The dumb wife clip. I mean, this is a line. Please don't lock anyone in my house. Babe, we are discussing business here like titans of industry. You wouldn't understand. That is a line that you could have pulled out of literally any married couple sitcom forever. I mean, when he says, we're talking here, it's like Ralph Cramden, like, met Archie Bunker. You have to see that and feel that and absorb that, right? I don't know. What do you think? Without these portions, the show would just be Allison telling us about stories about Kevin. And I feel like that would be less impactful than watching how, you know, antique the life actually is. And I think how far reaching Kevin really is. I mean, his tentacles managed to get Allison and Patty states away. And that should frighten people to realize that that he is capable of that. He is a buffoon on one hand, but he's diabolical on another. He has got the emotional maturity of an infant, but he has the resources of someone who has positioned himself as the top of his power structure, unfortunately. And like the hatefulness. Yeah. The, the hatefulness Malicious. in his heart and the, and the, yeah, the vengefulness that, that really is like, not underscored enough that it's not just you know trip over himself awkward antics there's a part to this that is so nasty allison has that rant uh when she's doing her bump of coke to marcus about the permission to use the car and was she really a bad driver or did kevin just want to take the car from her so he could have control of the car and we see in this episode she has to ask him permission to use the car and by extension patty patty and allison two grown adult women have to get permission from Kevin to use the car and he can't even be bothered to hold on to that salient information for 30 seconds, let alone the length of this episode, which based on Alexa timer-wise extends just over six hours. Think about all the times the sitcom wife has to ask permission to do basic everyday things from her husband. And there are men and women who have to get this kind of permission from their partners. There was a great quote you told me about from Twitter, Caroline. You know, if Kevin can fuck himself makes you feel uncomfortable, you might be a Kevin. TV is a great lens that we can examine real world issues. And I think this is a great example of that. Do you feel like Valerie and the writers in this one were successful in making this a funny standalone sitcom storyline? For the people who find these kinds of shows and sitcoms funny. I really honestly believe this could have been an episode of Ray with his golfing buddies doing this in their basement or Al Bundy or, you know, if they had escape rooms in the 50s for the honeymooners. I, I feel like this is an, ap- an absolute plot line 
that would have filled an entire episode on any of those shows for sure. What do you think worked about it? What do you think would like capture people's attention on this one? All of the things that make Kevin a horrible person, the idea like that his that he underestimates the intelligence of everyone else around him. I think some people can see the idea of him coming up with the clues as you know, is he a secret genius and not really a buffoon or is he just condescending to everyone? What was your take on Kevin and the clues and how he thought this would all play out? For sure that he thought he's the smartest guy in the world. And so all the different things that he did, he just did not think that people could possibly be this savvy. So when this group came in that were hilariously equipped to handle every single one of his clues and just was blowing through them, there was something about that part that actually was making Kevin in a twist look like the fool. Because normally they they don't set the storyline up to make him look like the fool. It's just happening, you know. But this one, it was like, no, this group is going to be able to get through this. And he actually was completely wrong. That's true. But again, no real consequences. He doesn't actually end up having to cough up the $10,000. These guys who he traps, the five people he traps in the basement, they don't hold his feet to the fire. They're like, we understood from right away that you were in on the thing. You weren't actually fooling anyone. He gets to to be the butt of the joke, I guess. But he doesn't see that. When this episode ends, his only problem is that he still can't find his Bruins hat and he's stuck in the window. He he hasn't processed that his plan was an utter and absolute failure, which is a problem because when you don't realize you've made a mistake, it's impossible to then learn from your mistake, which makes it impossible then to grow. Kevin hasn't learned anything at the end of this episode. This one just didn't work. He'll throw some more crazy idea against the wall next week and see if it sticks. But I realized I didn't really fully answer your question, though. The things that work that I think that people who like these kinds of sitcoms are going to latch on to is one, just the buffoonery of seeing like the shot and fruit of Kevin having this plan and, and having it fail so spectacularly because they're not going to really concentrate on the fact that he has no consequences for this bad behavior. There's no consequence for him calling the police on his wife. There's no con- consequence again for him offering $10,000 fraudulently that, you know, I actually I laughed out loud. I will say I laughed out loud. When Pete, the dad, says, that's 12000 more than you have in your bank account. That actually made me laugh. That was a very funny line because we know how he is and we know what he's done with their money. I appreciated the writing. That's that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is that we can continue to tell our audience about the idea of like, this is what a married sitcom looks like. But I think we all get that part. But why is this being successful? Because it's actually funny. There's parts to it that aren't really, you know, the quintessential making fun of Allison jokes that do work in here. You know, there was stuff that Pete said that was pretty funny in this one and things that were going on. Now, I can laugh at Three Stooges humor and I can think that it's silly. There was a lot of that going on because we're set up to hate Kevin. I don't want to laugh at any of the swallowing the key business, but there are plenty of people who are going to enjoy the physical humor of all that. And there's no but of the joke, but Kevin, you know, everyone knows he's swallowing a real key. And, you know, there is some savvy sitcom writing going on here. When Kevin and Neil stop on the stairs to have the conversation about Neil's family and who's living where and 
going to that again. Oh, how's very, he doing? Like all that. <laughs> right. Which again, it goes to the genius of the show. We can dislike Kevin and still appreciate these shows are successful. There are parts of these shows that people find funny or find the entire thing funny. But even in some of the worst of the fe- uh, worst offenders of these kinds of shows, there are funny parts. Just the juxtaposition of Kevin saying uh, 56 more clues, one less, you know, uh, intelligible than the next. And literally, like the woman being the A type, you know, personality lady being like, all right, here it is. I'm going to take charge and you do this and you do that. And those are, you know, the pilot coming in with like knowing the coordinates. That doesn't have to be part relegated to the married sitcom trope. That's just good writing and it's just funny comedy. That's, you know, it would be if you saw that on stage in like a sketch troupe, you would laugh at that. But I think that's a credit to the writing staff and to understanding and understanding how these shows work. One thing Valerie said that I thought was really interesting in the ATX panel, she doesn't hate these shows. She she says she grew up on these shows. It's just that she takes issue with them that she has a major problem with how they conduct themselves and that's what she's trying to get at it's not that the genre should be thrown out baby with the bathwater style what did you think of the the last trope i found was the whole bit and again this is funny in one context the fact that kevin cannot hear allison you know she even reiterates that line again about having an invisible voice and he only pays attention when Alexa comes alive. Was that a smart callback to her feeling like she has an invisible voice? Or was that just good comedy writing? Or did you not like that scene at all? Because it plays throughout. Well, I mean, within the comedy context, it works in terms of that, you know, it does keep coming back. It is like the revisited punchline is that he just never can like hear what she's saying from the drama side of it of course you know it's it's a sad portion of the of what we're examining with Allison and and whether or not you know she she does just float through life with this invisibility cloak on I mean I think it worked you know I I think that he was busy talking with his friends and he absolutely just couldn't even pay attention this whole idea that they chose a beauty expo too that whole part I know that Patty isn't a hairstylist but there's something about just calling it a beauty expo like it's so that's such an old-fashioned term and it's such an easy like oh you're talking about lady stuff that like men just like close their ears to that was funny because I felt like that was Patty and Allison using their invisibility by calling it a beauty expo it goes back to what Allison said to Patty on the stairs about being able to work Kevin and that's how she applies she applies those tools to everyone in her life initially like what she did with Marcus and then it's the same way that she says that she's going to get them the liquor and then they're like oh then they're throwing the keys at her or telling her to go get them by the small spoons which is such a funny prop that they have, a funny set, de- a set decorating <laughs> item they have. Spoons. The wall of spoons. The uh, like wall of spoons, like a wall of little thimbles. It's funny to have those little those little props around. We were really paying attention in this last episode and the way that like he has like his remote control cars and crap like stacked on top of her like dining hutch. Like that's that that's their like fancy area, if you will. And that's where he has like remote control cars and crap up there. Just oh my God. The way that that they can just take something and like calling them the wall spoons. Just it's just so funny. You and I both were surprised that the sitcom portion didn't take up more of the episode and actual time-wise because it felt like it took up a lot of the episode. Remember on the ATX panel, Mary, I think, was talking about this, who plays Patty. She talked about how the sitcom sections of the show 
when they're happening, take all of the air out of the room because of the nature of the thing. Do you think that's why it felt like it took up more? Because it's just so large. It's outrageousness and it's volume. Yeah, that's definitely a portion of it. I think that and and the fact that it did bleed into Allison and Patty's storyline, the the incessant phone calls. Yes, it was 13 minutes on screen, but when they weren't on screen, they were still intruding on our time and our storyline. And so I think in that way, it felt like it was taking up even more of the episode. Another great way of connecting the consequences. You know, when Alice Crandon would leave the room, you know, Ralph would call after her we are not we're not following alice anymore but alice is still having the consequences of whatever ralph and norton are cooking up in the honeymooners and it's the same way here and that's the genius of the show you never get to see alice have to deal with getting a cell phone call from ralph when she's at like the market or something but you know that's happening while Kevin doesn't end up having any consequences for his actions, Allison and now Patty have all of the consequences for all of the actions, their own and Kevin and Neil and Pete's. There's also this portion of it that is it's difficult to stomach because because I understand this. There is a sense of be quiet until I speak to you. No one wants Allison and Patty to be around. No one wants them involved in the escape room, but they're supposed to be at the ready at any second if there needs to be a phone call or something needs to be found or whatever. So there's this sense of being in like the on-deck circle, never getting in any game at all, but you're expected constantly to be ready to be a part of something as needed. It is the the saddest life of being the alternate. When they finally start to smell the corned beef smoke filling up the house, Kevin throws up his hands. How dare she leave and let everything go to hell like this? Kevin doesn't even remotely feel like he has to take responsibility for his own actions. There's this other level of you're invisible, but you're not allowed to leave. Yeah, that's messy. You know, that's really a, a sad, scary statement. You know, you, you're invisible and you're not to be talked to and no one's supposed to have anything to do with you, but you're not allowed to not be there. Yikes. I mean, that I mean, I think a lot of people right now, if you're like listening to that statement, I think that 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 kind of hurts your heart. You and I know I know we both know people that only exist and only become visible, only take corporeal form, it seems like, when they are needed not and not for any other reason. And almost not even like needed. It's like when the when the the other person is tired of of doing the thing themselves so like they want help so they weren't even like it's not like they were needed per se it's just the other person doesn't want to take the time to look for something or doesn't want to take the time to help someone else do something help a kid with something or whatever then all of a sudden you're very very important and where are you and you should be at the ready but Otherwise, what you contribute and what you're a part of, like, that isn't a thing. You know, it isn't recognized as anything. It, it, and exhibits A and B is not, you know, uh, being being bothered to check for the Crisco in the pantry and the big can that says Crisco and or check your closet, your own closet for your Bruins hat. Right. But but never would she be given credit for, like, organizing the house. Also, she has to know where everything is. So it's like, 
<laughs> it's well, it's a winless situation, which you For know, sure. which is frustrating in just a one-off circumstance that we're watching. Now multiply that by ten years of that existence. I'm so curious with the escape room premise of the escape groom. I'm so curious about how in the world did Kevin and Allison become married? You know, most of the time in all these sitcoms, kids come into play. They had to get married. In this case, with Kevin actually expressing this like disdain for marriage or this idea that 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 men want to escape from this marriage how did this happen <laughs> you know i want to know the backstory on how did this happen i don't think kevin actually desires to not be married to allison he takes her for such granted and treats her for such property the smallest inconvenience to him by her or as he perceives the uh, as an inconvenience to him by her makes him feel like he's being put out it's a level of selfishness and self-centeredness that i think most people can't really fully understand because it, it involves a level of narcissism that i don't think and that most people can reach because kevin would be lost and if he was ever honest with himself he knows that he would be lost if he didn't have allison he wouldn't be able to do the most basic basic things we learned in this episode actually a question you and i had going back to episode two they actually have a computer and a printer and it's actually allison who knows how to use it because she knows how to explain things to him as if he was a child well it's definitely stereotypical sitcom talk right like i got drugged to the altar kind of stuff i have been around in enough guy situations where maybe not this exact thing a guy will say something like you know i could really use a break from my old lady and then everyone else is like i know what you mean and there's like arm punching and stuff like that a guy will say something and toss it out for validation from the other guys gathered so that they can all check their you know crotches and spit and make sure they're all masculinity and their testosterone is in check it's like a very like neanderthal-y kind of existence but i think guys do that though in groups kevin wouldn't come up with escape groom if neil and pete weren't there it's the environment of having to make sure you are some kind of alpha is through comments like that it has no meaning whatsoever it's just a pro forma checkbox like they have to say it's interesting though because neither neil nor pete seem to be married and so there isn't any like yeah yeah so much uh, you know like i want to get out of my marriage too girls are stupid like it's it's none of that so it's it's cur- I, it all that it did was just tip my my little head to be like how in the world did kevin decide or allison get kevin to get married like i'm just so curious about that part i mean it's worth like wondering about oh i'm positive you know probably something to do with sam leaving or sam going off with jen with two ends propelled her towards kevin uh in a i guess this is as good as it gets kind of way or something like that you know you you mentioned you mentioned neil and pete have showing no evidence of of having relationships or being married we don't know where kevin's mom is i guess neither of them seemingly can identify with that but they're they both go like yeah, that's right blah, blah, blah. it's the same thing where like a woman breaks up with a guy the guy and his friends then spend the next x amount of time talking about how she's a bitch and how they were going to break up with her anyway it's this inability to take any kind of hit to their machismo 
I'm glad you were talking about that. You think we are going to get more backstory with how they got together and how they ended up getting married because the backstory with Patty and finding out more about their background was very satisfying for me to find out more and get a, I think I have a little insight into Neil now. For sure. Finding out that he's the one who found their mother had Pat like dead. I really think that that could explain Neil's like arrested development. He seems like he could be a little, you know, PTSD kind of person where he wants to stay kind of that little boy. This dead mom joke that Allison comes back with as part of her attempt to bond with Patty, even though there was an assurance there would be no bonding. It it was great because it was so awkward. You know, Allison kind of says it and then has a look on her face, almost horrified that it actually left her mouth like she said it out loud. But uh, Patty seems to dig it. Let's listen to it and talk about it a little bit. Your mom want him home? No idea. She died when we were kids. Neil found her. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Settle down. It's not like you did it. Actually, I did. I wanted you to truck a dad all to myself. That's funny. What a bizarre interaction, but it, it ends up being like the real like start of of Patty taking her wall down with Allison, though. Allison's willingness to take a chance there to 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 perhaps offend Patty and and get, you know, dig in there a little bit. And Patty respects that. You know, that's how she plays with with the guys more. There's more of those digs. And I think that that's relatable for her. And, and so they can finally find some like common ground. Your dad jokes, you know, that's all. That's a whole thing amongst women, too. <laughs> your mom jokes might be a whole thing, you know, amongst men. But but we have your dad jokes. On top of the insight probably into Neil, which I, I imagine, to the extent that we get more about Neil, and I'd love to get Alex Bonifer on the show to talk to him about that character and what his expectations are for it. If we do get some kind of serious backstory on him, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I have to imagine finding his mom being the one who found their mom had to have had some kind of traumatic event on him that was never dealt with or diagnosed or it it seems like they had like a real deadbeat dad who would only periodically come in. I don't think he's deadbeat. I think that he was a single parent who had to work and he had a blue collar job that took him away from the family. So I don't know that he was a deadbeat dad. I think he was just gone a lot. I think I was picking up on the deadbeat part and deadbeat's not the right word, but maybe absentee. Uh, I'm thinking of like Jack Frost that we just talked about, but. But he's on the road, you know, he he's, he's not, he's not like drinking with his friends at the bar, you know, yeah. he's at work. But Patty, wouldn't you expect her then to have a different take on it then that, as soon as he was home, I wish he'd be back out on the road again. That, that's a weird take if it's absentee dad status and with nothing more. And I think I think I'm cute. I think I'm I'm picking up some negative vibes about dad. It wasn't like she was wistful. I wish I had had more time with my dad, but he worked hard for us and was never home. It was a kind of like he, you know, he was gone a lot. And when he was home, I wish he'd be gone again. Well, they were kind of raising themselves. And, and I think that there's a portion of that when then an adult comes into the situation is who doesn't have a lot of interaction with the kids is probably overbearing and probably makes, you know, upsets the apple cart, if you will. And when they come in on the scene, you know, for sure, Patty was taking care of Neil. It sounds their entire lives. And so, you know, you can kind of you can paint that picture in your head. He doesn't have to be a complete asshole. He can just be someone who comes in 
on a routine that already exists, that Patty's already working this entire situation. And suddenly she, I'm sure, is downgraded. I'm sure, you know, then he's the head of house and she's got to do what she's told. And it's very different than when it's just the two of them at home and they're kind of making their way, you know, and, and it probably is easier when dad isn't around then. Maybe. I, I'm also including in this that she introduces this conversation by talking about how he was a trucker in the 80s and specifically mentions drugs and alcohol being a part of that lifestyle. Yeah, for uh, sure. I, I mean, he's taking, I'm sure he's taking drugs and alcohol home. I'm just saying there's more than he was just coming home and asserting his dominance over their routine. I don't want to go too far. I want to take the information that we have and just kind of think about it in terms of what would that household look like? I mean, I don't know. Did, did your household change? when your dad walked in the door because it sure did in mine no my, my grandmother was completely in charge of us kids uh, my parents would come home uh, from both of their jobs and they just went and did their own unless they unless there was something outstanding like where my grandmother had left a note for them that they needed to address in a parental role largely my parents would come home and just go do their own thing there was very little interaction my parents went and they ate dinner by themselves in their room Okay, so I guess I'm saying when dad comes in on the scene in an active way, maybe dad comes walking to the dinner table. Oh, nothing for sure. Nothing changes about the mood. Nothing changes about, you know, that's what I'm talking about is that I'm not talking about day to day. I mean, day to day, I, my dad came home late too. We had already eaten dinner too. But when dad came in on the scene versus when it was like just mom or we were home alone, you know, when we were having pizza and we're watching movies and we're doing stuff like that, dad comes in on the scene and everything gets a little more rigid. And I can appreciate if it was a single dad scene where, you know, he had lost his wife and he's trying to keep this together, but, but I'm sure probably doesn't know how to handle two kids and everything. The whole thing would seem very, you know, like whiplash to have like when dad's around and when dad's not around. I, I think your, your 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 reference to upsetting the apple cart is uh, is pretty good. I, I'm willing to give them better benefit of the doubt that that's where it was. But there, there's a part of the back of my brain that thinks it's more. But uh, we but we don't know. But we don't know. They have established that this, you know, that this is a in the specific try try to describe the profession as being, you know, really a, a crass, rough profession. Like Patty's trying to say, like, you don't want to deal with truckers. Like, that's not a place you want to go. Like, that is a rough industry that, you know, that's set up well for us. Allison is going through this world almost with like brand new eyes, like almost like she's new to the world and is absorbing like a sponge all of the information being thrown at her. She crucially takes away from this conversation knowledge that truckers have access to drugs and pills. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, specifically that a lot of truckers have like back problems and like shoulder problems and stuff, which ironically, I know a couple of truckers and that's absolutely accurate. <laughs> they do have back and shoulder problems. When that old man comes out of the out of the truck next to her when she's pumping the gas, I mean, he's walking all bent over and hobbling and yeah. stuff. Yeah, he, yeah. Look, he looked like Amy DeJong in Amazing Race in the back end oh. of season 25. Well, she did. Amy. Yeah, poor Amy. Broken pelvis. What did you think of Patty's life philosophy of everywhere is bad in its own way? Oof. I mean, I am such an optimistic person that Patty's POV is not my POV. I can appreciate it. I understand that there are people in the world who feel like they're always going to be, you know, low man on the totem pole and, and every place is going to have its own pros and cons. I don't look at things like that. So it's not the way I walk through life. But I appreciated that the character of Patty, that, that fit very well with her 
with her character. I refer to myself as, and I identify as a cynical realist, very much subscribe to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. But even this philosophy is is a step too, too far for me. Yeah, but, but it seems very on brand for Patty. And, you know, there is a certain kind of armor that makes so much sense to go through life this way. If you have had a hard life, arming yourself in life to think everywhere is bad, so you might as well stay where you are because everything is shitty in its own way, is a really useful armor to prevent yourself from getting hurt. Because imagine finding out that it really is great somewhere else, but you have no hope of ever getting there. That would be devastating. It would be more devastating to know that versus then to just assume it's shitty everywhere. Yeah. And I'm sure losing your mom at a very young age, you know, moms tend to be the one who who is, you know, picking you up and dusting you off and telling you it's going to be okay. And maybe it's a grandma, but but typically you have somebody and it sounds like they had nobody. So to have that sort of, you know, let's let's be real, like stiff upper lip and, you know, let's just have put on your kind of like game day face every day makes sense for Patty because it seems like she had to take on a lot. You know, just hearing us talking out, it really makes sense that opening scene of the series where we learn that Patty is the younger sister, but that whole joke about having to change Neil's diapers and and stuff and how bizarre it was. You really understand now why Patty was the mom. I mean, it really elucidated what, what and what smart writing to call back to this really innocuous, just laugh tracky kind of sitcom comment now actually has a whole ton of meaning to it because of this knowledge that we got here in this car ride in episode four. And and it's not even far-fetched. Like, it's not like, oh, well, Neil's out of line for, for having some sort of arrested development because he found his mom at a young age who was dead and then didn't have any real adult in his life just really raised by a sibling who was younger than him. Like, if you start, like, putting that stuff together, you're like, well, Neil's not that off from how someone would probably behave, you know? Right. And it humanizes him and it gives you some empathy for him or sympathy for him. Maybe Neil isn't as a despicable. That's not the right word. I don't think there's anything despicable about Neil. Well, he doesn't seem not intelligent. He just seems he doesn't seem very mature. You yeah, know? It, it, is a, it is a classic case of an arrested development kind of situation. And now when you play back those kinds of things that he said about him and Patty as siblings and their home life in the in the few glimpses we've got, it all kind of changes the uh, the that dynamic and what what that actually means. There, there was a moment there when it seemed like Allison kind of like absorbed that information about Neil having found a dead body. My knee jerk reaction was like, oh, God, it's probably going to be Neil who would find Kevin's dead body. That was probably how Allison would like set that up. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm like very much like pushing this onto this, the script that wasn't really there. But there was something that came over her face that was like, I didn't even consider the damage I'd be doing to Neil to kill Kevin. It would be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, because remember, Allison, in, in for her own, I think, amusement a couple episodes ago, or was it just last week? I think it was just last episode for her own amusement, set them at each other kind of intentionally over the chili and the pig and and immediately regretted that decision because she and then had she then had to step into Neil's role that he usually fills in Kevin's life. But there is an aspect to that where Allison is not acting fully appreciating what those two mean to each other, the, the bromance that is between them. 
how much Neil needs Kevin. Really needs him, whereas Kevin needs Neil in just the using way that Kevin needs anyone. And and Neil hasn't hit it from us. I mean, think back to the episode where he finds out that they're moving in the first episode, where he he essentially does like, oh, God, why, God, why, you know, about them moving away. like And silly in the sitcom, but had it happened in the single camera, everyone would be like, oh, man, Neil has supersonic abandonment issues. He was abandoned by his mom and his dad at a very young age. Like, you could go through the whole thing where it's like, well, hold on. He would be very upset. Well, and that again, it's like the opening scene with the the, the diapers and the, um, the younger sister are you know, all of that, it's bleed through that we're getting now because we're able to actually put understanding on these sitcom characters. Neil is a real person. We only know him in the sitcom world, but Neil is a real person. And now we actually have some shades of gray about him. We have some character development, none of which has come from him. Or during the sitcom scenes. Right. It's all stuff we're learning now kind of retroactively that when you think back to it, and what a great exercise for a serialized show to to do this is the key to serialized television why it's so good because you actually do have character development we just didn't realize we were getting In a character most, development like, backdoor way <laughs> yeah it's genius it's genius it's because smart watch episode four and go back and watch all of the neil stuff from episodes one and two you're gonna have a whole different take on him what what a great exercise that people should do let's go to the very beginning of the episode there are consequences from the drug raid last week that continue into this episode and it happened so early on, I think maybe a lot of people are going to forget about it by the time the episode ends. But what did you think about Detective Tammy Ridgeway coming by the house, picking up the geisha box, and and kind of putting Patty on notice that she's involved in this investigation a little bit? Well, uh, you know, because we do the podcast, I did some digging. And to find out that this character of Tammy Ridgeway was going to be continuing on for six episodes, it made me really view this differently that okay this whole concept of the drugs and the pharmacist and what patty's involvement is is going to continue in some way and i don't know if tammy will get involved on more of a friend level or if it's going to become some sort of huge investigation i don't know but i find it fascinating that that character is going to continue the actress is uh, candace coke who's playing her she was not in episodes one or two so that means that she's going to be in every episode that remains because her first appearance was last week in episode three uh this is episode four so she's gonna be in the next four episodes like she's here literally to stay through the end of the season at least so then there's a whole storyline here that you know really solidifies underlines bolds the whole consequences portion for the women what else is going on in the women's world here that is going to continue with these consequences right i mean when a detective in the police department tells you specifically and expressly tells you don't be so quick to head out of town just yet. That yeah. that That is a red flag that Patty, I mean, it's on her mind when she first gets into the car, but I don't know how actively she's really thinking or worrying about it in this episode. And I feel like I, she should be probably worrying about it a little bit more. I agree with you. I, you know, knowing that this character is sticking around, I, I do have some grave concerns. Can you imagine just, just play like a multiverse where, you know, every decision leads to a different branch. Tammy, Detective uh, Ridgeway, tells her, don't leave town just yet, gets in her car, watches Patty leave. What if she had followed her and Allison out, leaving town, literally leaving the state 
moments, moments <laughs> after being told, don't leave town. That's like literally the first thing they do. Really interesting. They they drop this in really early in the episode, so we're not thinking about it for the rest. But I think it's going to end up being a major plot. If an officer tells you that in the course of just like chit-chatting with you at your own house, like you haven't been brought in, you're not a suspect, you're not, there's no like charges against you. And they say like, don't leave town. I mean, are you actually held to that? No, no. I mean, that doesn't actually mean anything. But I mean, it is like, a, I mean, obviously it's an ominous thing to say, but what if you did follow you? Like, I mean, what could they actually do besides be like, I told you not to leave? Like... Uh, can you not leave? No, no. It, it has no legal bearing. It, it is just a way of putting you on notice that we're going to be talking again. And maybe we're going to be like watching. You. And we're going to be watching you. And if you leave town, we're going to know about it. And it's going to be suspicious to us that you're doing that. Mm, so good to know. What these two are doing, they're trafficking drugs across state lines. They are now committing federal offenses. That's like serious stuff that no one's really thinking about. Well, let's get into their road trip a little bit more here because th- this was this was quite an adventure. I don't know if uh, you expected, first of all, to get more details that that like Allison and Patty went to high school together, and somehow Allison didn't even know that. That feels so weird. But no more weird than her never having been to the salon or knowing the address of it, right? I don't know, though, when you're like in high school and like you don't I mean, like they knew all the denunzios, right? It was kind of like what how did how in the world and then they've lived next door to each other for 10 years and it's never come out that they were in high school together. Well, I think there's a couple things to glean from there. One, there's a difference in age. I, I think yes. I think it's clear okay. there's a, there's a, they weren't they were went to the same high school and probably were within four years of each other. But okay. I, I think the fact that she doesn't know this information is akin to not knowing even where Patty works or having been in the salon. So are we taking that to be like a flaw in Allison? Like she actually doesn't pay attention to people. Like there's people who are invisible to her. She's just not invisible to other people. You and I had a long discussion about that when she walks into the salon and not having known it. I think, I think that was part of our discussion. Um, She doesn't realize her place in the world and doesn't always see people. Sam certainly feels that way in a lot of their conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that she uh, she's a little bit of a Kevin when it comes to other people. Right. She, you know, will come into Bev's diner when she needs something from Sam, but not necessarily going out there. She won't just... pay for her coffee because she just leaves. Right. And, but, and it's not even aware of it, which is almost worse. That she's, right. she's just oblivious to how she goes about her in the world. I think that's part of it. But I think it's I think it's also meant to illustrate and certainly from Patty's standpoint, when she says, I, I, in 10 years, I never, dec- I only decided I liked you in the last 20 minutes because of the dead mom joke that you told. Part of it is meant to express how much these two are not friends, which Allison thought that they were. Allison, how could you really think you're friends? You don't even know that you went to the same high school together. You don't even know where this woman works. You know she works at a salon, but you have no idea where. So can you really, with a straight face, consider yourself friends? Can it be such a shock to you when you hear Patty say, I never thought of us as a we, we're not really friends, all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's really meant to express how far apart these women are friendship wise, even though they may have a lot in common. What did you think of the idea and Allison's reaction to getting to go buy drugs from a, from a denuncio and her talking about how she never got to have that rite of passage in high school and and, and almost giddy uh, a little bit about getting to be on this adventure? Is she taking this not seriously at all, the gravity of what they're doing here? 
she was like excited to be in a different clique that maybe she didn't get a chance to experience during high school. So she, she wasn't, I mean, it's clear she wasn't a part of like, you know, that crowd, whatever. I don't know. Everybody has that crowd at high school where you're like, we were like, if you know, you know where to go get drugs. You sit at that cafeteria table if that's what you're looking for. I, I'm trying to figure out the ages because we know her and Kevin are both 35 and you, presumably Neil and Kevin are high school friends. That would actually make Allison older than Patty by three years, which is so interesting because Patty has such an older sister vibe to Allison. But I think if you think about it, she actually is probably three years younger than Allison. Yeah, I think it's weird that Kevin and Allison are actually the same age. I, I would have really expected that Allison would have been younger. Again, because I'm looking for some reason why these two could possibly have gotten together. And if he if he could have possibly been a little older and, you know, had a job and like seemed like a little bit more put together, then maybe there was some draw like that, you know, for her. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying trying to work all the angles. You're you're asking the question that people have asked that watch sitcoms for, uh, forever. How did that uh, sexy woman wind up with that schlubby guy? That's Most a question. Most of the time, they got pregnant and or they were getting old enough where they wanted to have kids, and so this was the this was like okay, well he does you know he's not a the worst guy I dated. So I'm just going to go ahead and settle for this one. It's usually that that's where without the kid quotient, I'm like, what is the pressing need to have ever married him? My guess is that if we ever get the 10 year flashback where they, you know, DH everyone a little bit, the, 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 the seeds of Kevin, who he is now are there, but they probably weren't as prevalent or obvious in, in looks, in treatment, in personality wise. I make a bet that's the kind of thing that has just increased insidiously over the years. Makes sense. Uh, let's, uh, I, I was very curious what you would think of this whole phone call business and the idea of, not picking up the phone one time and, and Patty being kind of incredulous at the start of the episode, not really realizing the damage it was going to cause by the end of the episode of it, it's going to be that much of a problem if you don't pick up the phone one time. I, I think that the is spoken by a woman who doesn't have parents, Patty, and who's not married. That is the only way you get to have that attitude, in my opinion. Interesting. If I don't answer the phone for my mom after like two times. She's like calling the police herself. And I'm not joking. Like I was out like out on a boat with friends and uh, somewhere on the lake, which is a gigantic freaking lake. Someone got hurt somewhere and it was on the news. It was a man. My parents called like the my uncle, who's a police officer, who then called like the water police people, not like the Coast Guard, but like whomever handles like the local lake to figure out who the person was to make sure it wasn't me. I'm not exaggerating. So like for Patty to have the attitude of like, why would you have to pick up the phone? Nobody is calling Patty who is keeping tabs on her. Giving her the benefit of the doubt. She's thinking of it probably not from a parent standpoint that, uh, but if a Kurt called her, I don't think Patty, if she, unless she wanted to talk to Kurt would have no problem sending Kurt to the voicemail. They're not married. No, of course, but people only know the experiences in which they have though. She was judging Allison for always picking up the phone 
tone and being at that kind of beck and call because the, the she the, calls the first time and she ignores it. Patty tells her just to ignore the call. Kevin calls right back and Patty's like, Jesus, you know, like, do you always pick up the phone? Weird that Allison doesn't turn the phone off at that point. She won't turn it off uh, for a little bit. But I thought it was a real specific commentary and a real glimpse into the fact that Patty doesn't understand what Allison's life is really like at all. That was my big takeaway from all of the car and phone stuff in this episode. Patty, I mean, this clip here, this comes at the end of the episode, but it's about the phone call uh, and the phone usage. Oh my God. He called the cops because you didn't answer your phone? No. I'm sure he had a great reason. I mean, again, even at the end of the episode, even after she, uh, Patty shitting herself, and thank God Allison was so collected about dealing with the cops, then Patty, like, regathers herself to get back on her incredulous high horse about the phone and not picking up, and that's why he did it. And yes, Allison responds in a, and with a sarcastic answer of, I'm sure he had a good reason, at least as far as Kevin thinks so. But interesting that Patty didn't learn anything over the course of the episode, having just been, like, stopped by the cops still doesn't really seem to get what Kevin's deal is. I don't know if I can explain it any different because I am Allison. So I don't, I don't, I can't explain my part any different. Like I have to pick up the phone. If I turn the phone off, I let everybody in my family know first. I have like a family text thread and I will say, I'm going to be taking a nap and my phone will be off. I say that because of the intense pressure to answer the phone there's certain people for you that you have to answer the phone or you're very upset about it. Patty doesn't have people who love her like that or that she feels responsible to. Kurt does not count. So there's, there's no, there's nothing about that. So then she doesn't understand it. But for people who are in families or have relationships, whether it's kids or spouses or even ex-spouses or whatever, that they feel like if they don't answer, there's some sort of something being said about that, you know, or some feelings are being hurt or something. Something's going on or they're going to ha- there's going to be consequences for that in some way. Then you feel like you have to. And, and plus, I mean, let's just be real. In this day and age, people expect people to be responsive. I mean, if, if you don't answer a text or if you don't answer a phone call pretty timely, most relationships get kind of strained where they're like, why didn't you answer the phone or why didn't you text me back or whatever? Right. Like there's usually something there be just because we're all pretty responsive to our phones. One, I think you're right that no one is looking for Patty in the same way ever and that Patty doesn't feel beholden to uh, to anyone. But for me, the bigger takeaway was that Patty really doesn't have any concept of what Allison's life is like, what what being married to Kevin is like, the idea that there were 16 missed calls and 32 missed messages in the time that they were gone. I mean, so over the course of a six hour period that they're gone, that this episode takes place. If you were to do real time, he called 19 times because we heard her dismiss the phone and then she turned it off and 32 missed messages. That's brand new information for someone who has lived next door and is best buddies, you know, with her brother and Kevin and has no idea what really is going on in that house. It's kind of a startling revelation in the same way that it's fascinating to learn that Allison didn't realize they went to high school together. It's kind of fascinating to learn that Patty really doesn't understand the the life that Allison is living married to Kevin. 
we're spending a lot of time talking about Patty. Uh, I think this episode, kind of like last week, was really revelatory about Patty and who she is and how she conducts herself in the world. I, I was kind of fascinated to watch her try and act like she understood the intricacies of drug trade, but really doesn't know much more than Allison when push came to shove. What, what was your take on the newspapers versus magazines and then her using like the custy word later on and Allison calling on her? Were you surprised to realize that Patty doesn't really know how drug running works, even though she seems to know people who do it? No, because they did such a good job of explaining how she got into this situation, you know, where it was just really the librarian's issues with not being able to get her pills because of insurance. So it it really didn't surprise me. I mean, knowing a guy who sells drugs because of high school, especially given that they're supposedly somewhere in her 30s, that's actually a pretty far callback, you know, to, to be like, well, I think I know a guy from when we were like 17. So she's clearly like not currently in the biz the way that that she would know any of this stuff. I felt like heartbroken in that moment of the whole magazines, newspapers, everything. I was like, oh my God, like I would feel so, <laughs> just so frustrated. Like I can't even believe this happened and that he traded the pills for these, for the, for the other drugs. I was like, oh my God. It, it was definitely, I mean, in its own way, it was sitcom, you know, boobery. Even her initially saying like, you stay in the car, I go do like the heavy lifting kind of thing, but then backing down and kind of waving her to come along because you know she doesn't want to go through that alone but then you know being tough about you know newspapers for 250 and then what's this this is coke we wanted oxy and he's not realizing that the name had changed the the chasing the being a taxi for trevor and Brittany, and then dealing with red rooster and all of that there's so much of that where telling allison you know don't be so custy and you know allison says like you didn't know what that word meant either but i think for a large part of that allison's watching patty kind of in awe because as little as it turns out that patty knows allison knows even less to the point where she's impressed kind of that that patty knows the denunzios have moved out of state and are still dealing drugs and she can go get to them so i think there's a lot of here where patty is trying to be kind of a a really put on a a personality a mask if you will for allison all through this whole drug thing before dropping the kind of i mean she kind of drops the charade altogether when she comes back with the gun later on yeah the red rooster portion is like when everything went well off the rails i mean by then obviously everyone was scared like this was at a level that they did not expect these were now two levels away from the people who patty thought she knew that they were going to and so i mean yeah that was really scary i was nervous for patty when she came back with the gun i was like thank god it was just the gun like she went with those two weirdos in the woods oh no no right without allison right into no, a, where no, allison no. who knows what could have happened there you know no it would it seemed bad it seemed yeah. very ominous i was like oh my god no yeah i mean i think that patty is a good-hearted person at her core and she is somebody who who has just been trying to put her head down and get along in the day and so i i don't think she has all these extra edgy parts to her i think that she's probably one of those people who looked kind of goth in high school because she wanted to keep a little, you know, border around herself. Do you not agree that she's trying to put on like a show for Allison of being a tough here, though? I think that she definitely wants Allison to stay two steps back because because Allison is she's the one that's that's like the liability. You know, she's the one who's most likely to say something that gives them away or most likely says something that is 
embarrassing at the very least. I think she's trying to be in control of the situation because she doesn't want Allison to just say something that shows their cards too much. There were a couple of moments where I was really nervous and it involved Patty. It was definitely when she goes off with Red Rooster and his lady into the woods. But even early in the episode when uh, Detective Ridgeway picks up the geisha book and, and starts holding it, like if I picked up some, if I was so inclined to pick up a book from someone's coffee table, I definitely would flip through the pages because that's just how what I do with books. If I, if I pick up a book, like I flip the book around. I was like, oh my God, she's going to like find the cash right here, right now. I also uh, think the book wouldn't feel like the right weight when you picked it up. I think that it would feel different because we know it was hollowed out. So even if it had money in it, I still don't, I still think it would have felt odd. So yeah, that, that whole thing, I was like, oh my God. Interesting that she stopped to make a point that there are a lot of books in the O'Connor house. But what what a weird little aside, because she stops and she'll come around and she says, there are a lot of books in this house. Is Patty a secret, like, bibliophile? Like, is she, like, a major reader and we just don't know that? Is Neil and we just don't know it? Is it leftovers from her mom or dad? I think it's a good layer. And I think that Patty could be this type of person who could read about far-off places and never imagine she could go there. Yes. She feels like that girl. That feels like a good take. That feels like a good take. Well, let's let's talk about the gun because she comes back from the gun and she's really trying to make lemons, uh, lemonade out of some lemons here with the gun. And the idea that maybe Allison can just fend off Jason, this this uh, this unseen predator, you know, with the gun instead of having the pills. Did you like how Allison kind of dropped the charade a little bit and said, you know, I'm scared of like like car horns beeping i'm not walking around with a gun Uh, it seemed like a real honest moment of sincerity it was talking about something else than what allison was really feeling on the surface but i think the emotion of i am in dire straits here the pills are what i need not a gun seemed really authentic to me what was your takeaway from that scene for Allison, I felt like she was trying to cling on to the story and, and hang on to it. But it definitely was clear at that point that this was cracking. And and the story was was 100% not going to be salvageable moving forward. And it, and it also showed how completely trusting Patty was that this was the story. She was doing exactly what myself or any of my friends would do, which was to continuously try to problem solve. Like, okay, well, we don't have this, but like, could you use this? Could this solve the problem? It really put Allison in this spot where you felt like, okay, eventually here, she's going to have to squeal about what is really going on. I initially thought, I was like, I wonder, is Patty testing her here when she says Jared and then Allison comes back with Jason? You know, no one's ever been scared of a Jared, like that whole kind of awkward combination. Or if it was just Patty not really remembering the name, remembering it was a J name. Mm-hmm. I, I and My initial thought was, oh, is she testing her there? But looking at Patty's face, I didn't really feel that way. It looked very honest and, and concerned. But even from that point forward, I you know, I, I guess I was happy for Allison that she remembered that it was Jason and corrected her. The rubber is going to hit the road here at some point and she's going to either have to tell her or come clean in some other way uh, about what's really going on here when we get to the point i mean and i love you talking about how patty was being a good friend really through this episode and trying to constantly problem solve even with the gun as ridiculous as a problem solve that would be she uses the gun i mean she uses the butt of the gun to save allison from what she thinks is an attack not a like a rape and not a drug deal were you surprised that patty had developed feelings of friendship that way that she sprung into action like that or did that feel like that was earned by that point in the episode yeah i thought it was more like she she legitimately thought that 
this Jason guy who had, it had been set up that he had been stalking her had followed them and had managed to basically corner Allison, you know, behind the gas station. And so, again, it just spoke to me that Patty was all in on the story. She 100 percent believed Allison. That alone, just the 100 percent belief of Allison speaks to Patty's naivete and that she's not this hard-edged person. Because hard-edged people who believe that all the bad in the world and everything, they wouldn't believe Allison at this level. They wouldn't go all in. They would be like, yeah, whatever you said, supposedly this guy's following you. That was an amazing act of bravery, like woman to woman, and like great on her for like just trying to save the day. I mean, it looked exactly like what Allison had described, this man following her. I really liked it because I think it all goes more towards this armor, this tough, tough person armor that Patty wears, the 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 life philosophy of everything is bad everywhere, the the I'm a drug runner, punching above her weight kind of thing. I think it was it was it was a great reveal of she does have kind of a mushy inside despite the hard shell that she tries to wear and allison is like getting through to that that inner you know she's cracking through that shell which you have to imagine is not something people are successful doing with patty even if they try to probably not a lot of people even try to get through her armored shell because i think it's a pretty successful mask for anyone who's just casually going by Patty, you know, it's easy to see her and kind of come up with a, I know who that woman is in just a few seconds of interacting with her. You know, she's got a sharp tongue. She's got this gruff exterior, you know, everything sucks and you suck too. Like all of that, she wears it really well. And I think most people just kind of walk on by her. So she doesn't actually ever have to deal with someone trying to crack her code or crack her armor. And Allison is, because Allison feels like they are partners now on this road. They're they're on a road trip. They're filming Louising it, hopefully without the suicide at the end. Um <laughs> and 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 I think Patty just doesn't know what to do. And so when she says like I was saving you, I was saving you, you know, that's the only thing she could come up with. The way she kind of falls apart and really almost starts to hyperventilate when the cops pull them over. Let's talk about that because Allison one keeps it together to take the pills after Patty knocks out the guy. She not only grabs her money back, she actually takes the trucker guy's pills. So she's got the pills now. But when the cops pull over, she's totally cool. She hides the gun in her pants. She keeps it together. She even offers to go to the station if they need to, to clear it up, which is a real pro move in like lying, you know, almost calling the cops bluff on it. That was a real, but that's a real dynamic shift though. That's Allison being bold and having her shit together and Patty kind of falling apart. We've been trained to think it the other way, but here at the end of the episode, it switched, and Allison really kind of got a spine and really kept it together, kept them safe, really, from the cops. The idea that Allison doesn't have any armor would be a false way to think about her. She uses her good-natured sitcom wife persona on everyone when need be. And so she just does that. She just plays like, oh, I'm so silly. I just forgot. You know, I didn't check in, like that kind of stuff. And that works like 90% of the time with anybody because there's no reason for them to think anything different of you. If you just kind of go with that, 
Whereas Patty, you know, she's she is putting it all out there, you know, with, you know, like you said, the gruff exterior. Allison has this super soft exterior and this really like, who, me? I couldn't do anything wrong. So it's exactly the right way to play it. And when the cop starts laughing, I was like, oh, man, like she just played him like a fiddle so well. <laughs> I feel I'm always impressed when women can talk their way out of tickets and know how to do that. I, I'm i a patty when I get pulled over. I've been I've been pulled over plenty. I'm a total patty. I'm like, oh, my mama. I remember I remember quaking i was 19 years old or 20 and i found myself online for a seatbelt check and i was not wearing my seatbelt yet um i just I, whatever reason i had pulled out of the house and hadn't put it on the cop is like license registration i was shaking as if i was about to be in front of a firing squad and he's like, relax, it's just a seatbelt ticket. But I was like near hyperventilating as I'm handing over my license registration over a seatbelt ticket. Allison is, it's going to be fine. My dad was a cop. She takes the gun, without hesitation, she shoves it in her pants. You know, she gets rid of the pills. She does. She she is able to put on that sweet exterior because she has a really steely interior that like, she's like, I know what to do here. And it's totally cool. That was really what impressed me in that scene. Not that she played the cop well though she had it it was the composure that she had that allowed her to play the role with the cop so well when she took the gun and shoved it in her pants without a second thought the 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 calm demeanor is unlike any version of allison we've seen so far i disagree i think that we've seen it for every episode she keeps her composure all the time around insane situations. And we've seen it in episode after episode where things are going on around her and she stifles her feelings. She plays it cool. She's got the line to say. She has a smile on her face. She knows exactly how to play it. She explains she knows how to play Kevin and she's playing the cops in the same exact way. So I, I think that, again, it would be a failure on the on the part of the audience if they don't understand the portion that... Allison has. She is not a weak person. She's a strong person who can problem solve. And of course, she's the one when they need help. She's the one that they call because she knows what to do. She can handle the the pig in the backyard. She knows how to handle things. So it didn't surprise me at all. I don't get tickets. I get pulled over plenty and, and I'm not shaking. I just calmly tell why why I was going as fast as I was going and they understand and I move on. It is part of the character they've built for us. They've explained her. It's just hard to see it as her super strength because not doing something and not reacting and not being all big, that's hard to detect versus Patty's like boisterousness or this sucks or whatever, right? The not doing things, the just smiling, the being able to stay quiet, the being able to act cool in a situation where everyone else is acting insane. There, it's like harder to see that for a strength, you know? She just mm-hmm. doesn't ever rise to being provoked. I like it. Let's get to the very end of the episode where Allison has finally connected with Kevin. Patty can't believe that he would call the cops. And then they had this conversation about yeah. the paralegal, the, what I'm calling the paralegal story. Let's listen to this. It's a little bit of a long clip, but I think it's really important to hear the whole thing. And that's why I should have picked up the phone. So it's my fault. Like, I could have predicted he'd do something like call the cops? Yeah. You've been hanging out with him for 10 years. But this, this is different? Th- yeah. Okay. Patty, do you remember when I got that job as a paralegal? 
I started working a lot, and Kevin convinced everyone I was having an affair. My money was on cult, but... Yeah. He thought that I had fallen in love with my boss, who was 60 and married. But that didn't matter. Kevin still put sugar in his gas tank, ruined his Saturn. Okay, fine. I never said he was a great guy. That's the kind of juvenile crap he does. He got me fired. Right when I felt like I was worth something. He ruined it. And you just watched him and laughed. Can you just think about that for more than one second? He didn't like something that was my own, and so he took it away from me. Like this car. Like my friends. Like any shred of life that is my own. It... It seemed... harmless. That's a really powerful scene, and it's a nice evolution of... Allison's realization of so many of these thoughts when she's uh, at Marcus's ga uh, garage uh, in the first episode. This is someone who's now thought about that monologue that she delivered and has refined her thoughts and 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 has made really firm connections in her mind about what's happened in her life the last decade. What did you think of the scene? What did you think of Patty saying that she thought it was harmless, this insidious behavior and not seeing it for what it was all along? Is that, is that a valid excuse for Patty to rest on or is it a little feeble in the moment? First of all, just the feeling of it all, the intensity. I mean, I think that Mary Hollis and Annie completely deliver as, as actors in terms of like, you can feel the pain going on in that between the two of them that that Patty really didn't realize what role she played in and never, you know, speaking up on Allison's behalf. And I think that that's something that when we were watching the panel for for Kevin can fuck himself with ATX and they said, you know, this isn't about a toxic marriage. This is about women helping women. There's that saying, you know, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. This is one of those times when Allison was like saying, you know, imploring her like, but you were watching this, you were watching this and you're a fellow woman in the world and, and you chalked it up to harmless fun. Like, can't you see what really happened? And I think a lot of times that, you know, sadly, people turn a blind eye because they don't want to get involved. You know, they they don't want to, you know, get in people's business. You know, that's their that's their dynamic. That's their marriage. You know, who am I to say that kind of stuff happens all the time. And I think also we have to remember that that the character of Patty has this Neil element. So she's like steeped in juvenile antics all the time as well. That's been going on her entire life. So to kind of expect her to identify a specific situation and be able to extrapolate out all of the consequences for Allison was probably asking too much for this character because she just doesn't have that range of of exposure to uh, to other people having the conversation with Allison would have taken just a couple of times that's all they've had for there to be some realization that like Allison's a real person that she has life you know inside of her that that has little dreams and little things that she wants to be doing Penny never looked at her like that you know she was a hundred percent just an accessory within Kevin's household. So I I mean, I think it was beautifully played and beautifully written. And it was one of those small times when you think like, you know, was there a time that I should have 
at least asked a question, you know, like, is this, is this right? What's happening here? Is this, is this person, should we be saying such, especially like rumors behind people's backs, like start like having, getting people to think she was having an affair, man, how insidious, right? That's such mean girl behavior. Like he didn't just go to Allison and confront her. He started like this rumor amongst all the friends that she was having an affair. And, and that's the way you kind of get, you know, this, this backing to do more, very smart. And I, I, again, I I hope it opens some eyes and makes people think like, man, I should ask more questions or try to think about, is this harming my friend? The scene I didn't play was the very next line. Allison's response to it was harmless is, yeah, was it still harmless when he didn't tell me that Kevin took all of our money? Putting her on the carpet for that behavior. It's interesting that she's revisiting it now because their relationship in just a very short amount of time has actually come very far along in a very short amount of time the, through the nature of their mutually assured destruction relationship, which is starting to bloom maybe into a real friendship. It's almost like Allison feels like now is the time to revisit this conversation. You actually know me now as a human. You actually have now decided you like me as a person. Is it still harmless? Now you see what my life is like. You've been here 10 years and you've either willfully or just by whatever reason have never actually seen what my life is like. You've just always chalked up Kevin's bad behavior to juvenile antics. This is my reality that you have been complicit in this entire time. Now you see it. Now you've now you've been dragged into it. And now you feel the fear. I mean, she right. was legitimately scared with the police officers. And so that was the time when she was like, okay, now you had the visceral reaction of having the effects of Kevin in your life and how far reaching it is. You've had a consequence of Kevin, you know. Yeah, and you could have been, had Allison not stepped in and saved the day as she does with Kevin and the guys all the time, had she, had she not, then, you know, very well, Patty could have gone to jail for having the gun and stuff like that. So it you know, it definitely drove home the point of like, look, we're not even at my house. We're, we didn't even do anything where he should have been involved at all. And yet look at how far his harmless actions, you know, can can reach. I think it was brilliant writing because how far would they had to have gone to convince Patty if we just told stories? Oh, remember when this happened? Oh, remember when that happened? Like, how long would it take for her to ever come around, but to put her in the position of having that fear and realizing it was all completely fictitiously produced by Kevin because of his antics? How does it not make you just beyond angry? Don't tell us a character is doing a thing or feeling a certain way. Like, show us let, let and let us come to the conclusion. And I think... Kevin can fuck himself and Valerie and her writing team and Craig DeGregorio and, and all their writers and the actors. I think they're doing a wonderful job of not telling us because you're right. How long would it take Patty to come along to come around to Allison's side? I don't think she ever would. She would never give the right amount of credence to Allison's story about what kind of person Kevin is just by hearing Allison's story. She has to she has to be shown it and she is showed it in this episode. And she has to feel it yes. herself. She was the recipient of the fear. She could have had, you know, a jail time because Kevin is such a jerk. And you know, would it is really insane to me to call in a car stolen like that. I mean, that whole thing is so 
so unbelievably malicious to me. Like when, you know, and I understand the whole, well, he didn't remember that she took the car and blah, blah, blah. But they knew, I mean, the keys were missing. She, they all said, oh, remember Allison took the car? Yeah, Pete I mean, knew. Pete the dad remember. told, yeah. you know, he knew, right. but he just, he was willing to have her have to have an interaction with the cops. That is where it comes down to like, man, you're just fucked. <laughs> you're fucked up. I, I want to take us to the very last scene because it's it's the mid it's the mid season cliffhanger. Allison is now just she's on a roll. She is she is decided that it's time to tell Patty everything, but she prefaces it by saying Kevin has to be stopped. He has to be beaten. It's not the that Kevin wants the world to go his way. It's that Kevin has to have the world go his way or else he blows it all to hell. And so that leads to this line, which ends the episode. No, I'm not ripping anyone off. No one's after me. Nobody except my husband. I need those pills for him. Because I'm going to kill Kevin. What a characterization to say nobody's after me except my husband. That's an intense sentence. But after the experiences of this episode, I don't know how you would phrase it any other way. A lot of times it's very hard to stand up for yourself. But in this case, she's watching Patty cry in the scene next to her and she's and she's feeling someone else's anxiety. And that's what emboldens her, in my opinion, to say, you know what? Enough is enough. He has to be stopped for whatever reason. And I'm going to say specifically women, but maybe men feel this way, too. I'm only going to speak to my own experience. If I'm alone, I, I feel like I have one level of strength. If I feel like I'm protecting someone else, I have 10 times more strength and 10 times more resolve. I think there's there was plenty of Allison that never realized that how much Kevin was harming other people. She thought she was the only victim, but now she's seeing how Kevin's actions is making this other woman shake and cry in the seat next to her. There's something about that that makes you be like, you know what? That's it. You know, I can't watch someone else do this, even if I thought I could personally put up with it. I can't put up with it. And a lot of times it's because of children or, you know, because you see the 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 partner do something to someone outside yourself. Suddenly it's so much more dire. You're willing to take it, but you won't you won't stand for them doing it to someone else. I think there's an aspect. I think I agree with you, but I think there's also an aspect of it that she sees Patty and and what Patty has now experienced in just a small taste of what life with Kevin and consequences from Kevin feels like that Patty is ripe here to become an ally to with Allison, that she doesn't have to hide a story that they've moved beyond just mutually assured destruction mutually assured destruction but destruction destruction that they've moved beyond mutually assured destruction but that patty now may be primed to actually be an ally to allison now they have a common enemy this is just the smallest of tastes and now if allison chooses to tell patty certain stories over the last 10 years of her life with kevin patty is going to be much more inclined if not automatically inclined to believe her now because she's had a taste of what life is like nothing brings it home more than when someone else can not sympathize with you but empathize with you and i think patty is now full of empathy for what allison's life is like and so she has an ally in this ludicrous decision i do want to focus again though that the show that valerie you know armstrong and and mary and annie talked about the panel we shouldn't get bogged down on whether or not kevin dies 
but rather how Allison lives. I know we started the episode by talking about that. That is ultimately going to be the more important journey is how Allison and Patty both can maybe start to live versus maybe worrying about how they go about killing Kevin. Remember, they're still not home. They're still in Vermont. They actually haven't made it made it back home to Kevin yet. So who knows what episodes five, six, seven, and eight are going to look like? Who knows what Patty's reaction to that is? There is no spoken reaction after that line I just played. It cuts to the ringtone, Kevin's ringtone uh, plays, and they go to credit. So we don't know what even Patty's going to say. It's it's fascinating to, wor- to wait and see how episode five uh, opens and plays out. I'm really looking looking forward to it this is caroline and this is mike thank you for listening to kevin can podcast himself your dedicated after show podcast for kevin can fuck himself if you wouldn't mind going to apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts if you could rate review and subscribe to the show and all of pod clubhouses podcast there we think you'd enjoy it and while you're there if you could leave us a five-star rating that would be fantastic so that we don't have to go in the woods with you and give you a gun instead of a podcast rating that would be bad <laughs> thanks for listening Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.